Thank you for listening to the Crossridge Podcast. Today's message is by Senior Pastor Mark Farnell. For more information about Crossridge Church, visit our social medias or go to our website at crclife.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Sound leadership is a must in God's church. The spiritual effectiveness of the church is directly linked to the sound leadership in the church. And as we have been studying so far in chapter one, we know the leaders of God's household, the elders, pastors, and overseers are saved, called, and equipped by God to lead God's people to live and love His way. Elders must have godly character, godly commitments, godly conduct, godly convictions. Elders, pastors, hold on to the faithful message, the truth of God's Word, as they study the Word, as they believe the Word, and as they obey the Word. Elders must hold on and keep a firm grip on the truth of God's Word so that they are able to encourage God's people with sound teaching and so they can refute those who contradict it. Elders must bring to light and expose the error of false teachers so God's people can reject their false teachings. Paul's words to Titus in this passage are specifically for elders, and yet we are all in view in these verses as followers of Jesus Christ. God wants all of us to hold on to the faithful message of his word. God wants all of us to study his word, meditate on his word, memorize his word, believe his word, obey his word. God wants all of us to embrace sound teaching. God wants all of us to reject false teaching. And so as we continue to make our way through this passage, this is for all of us gathered here together in person and online. We continue and pick up in verse 10. And uh, I know this may surprise you, but hold on to your seats. We're going to try to make our way through seven verses this morning. I know that's a shock because we generally go one verse a week at a time. So uh, we're going to try to hit seven verses. I expect we'll be out by lunch and uh, that will work out for everyone. Uh, We'll pick up in verse 10. For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. Paul here shared why these false teachers must be refuted. Why the elders must refute those who contradict the sound teaching of God's word. He said, for there are many rebellious people. Many means many, a lot. So there is urgency in Paul's instruction. Rebellious means unruly. It means disobedient. It means unwilling to submit to God, God's word, and God's elders. So we know people here generally means people, Specifically, it means the false teachers. So, in verse 10, the false teachers were disobedient, unruly, rebellious. They were not willing to live under the authority of God, God's word, and God's people. Said they were full of empty talk and deception. Full of empty talk. Uh, Empty talk means idle, senseless, vain talk. They used words that were empty, fruitless, foolish, full of nonsense. The words of these false teachers were devoid of spiritual goodness, value, and wisdom. Devoid of truth. They were full of empty talk and deception. 
That means they were mind deceivers. They were misleaders. They led people away from God rather than to God. These false teachers were often very smooth with their words, and they were skilled uh, in oratory presentation. They were, most of the time, as we would say today, they were full of hot air. They used many words without much meaning at all. And so they were full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party, which is a reference from Paul to Titus about uh, the Jews, the circumcision party, that being the Jews. The false teachers, the Jewish false teachers, the Judaizers in Crete were teaching salvation by faith in Jesus plus works such as circumcision, obedience to the Old Testament law, eating certain things, not eating certain things, uh, the uh, obedience to the man-made rules that they added to the law that God gave to Moses from the Old Testament. These false teachers were, in essence, teaching faith in Jesus is not enough for salvation, which is heresy. Salvation by works takes our focus and faith off of Jesus and puts our focus and faith on us. And that's exactly what these false teachers were doing. Crete was full of false teachers, empty talkers, and deceivers. We're starting to see now some reasons why Paul was insistent with Titus about these qualifications for the elders, pastors, and overseers. Here's what we're learning. Leading the churches in Crete would not be easy. Leading God's church today is still not easy. And so we see, we continue in verse 11. It is necessary then to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. It is necessary. That means, Paul's saying, Titus, this is necessary. This is a must for elders. And it's necessary to silence them. Silence means to stop the false teachers from teaching. To close their mouths by muzzle, gag, or bit. Silence was in the present tense. So the elders, pastors, overseers were to continually, day after day, silence the false teachers. They were to make sure the false teachers stopped teaching. So it's necessary to silence them. Then he tells us one of the reasons why. They're ruining entire households. They were ruining households. Ruining there means they were overturning. They were upsetting. They were undermining entire households means an entire family. More than likely what was happening that Paul was sharing with Titus that they knew through their ministry there in Crete was that these false teachers were targeting the families of the churches and going to the families in their homes, sharing their false teaching in their homes away from the spiritual protection of the elders. And they were ruining entire households. How? They were ruining the households by teaching what they shouldn't. They were not teaching the truth of God's word. They were teaching what was opposed to God, and they were teaching what was opposed to what Paul and Peter and Titus and Timothy and the other elders were teaching. We see Paul talked about this a lot to Titus. He also talked about it a lot to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, if you want to turn to your left, just a couple of pages. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, 
we see a little bit of this. This is all throughout Paul's writings, but in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, Paul said this, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus. So he left Timothy in Ephesus. Titus was in Crete. Remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine, the Judaizers, or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. The false teachers were upsetting the faith of these families. And so he says that they were teaching what they shouldn't teach. And then he gives us a reason why they were teaching what they shouldn't teach, why they were ruining entire households. They were teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. So now we find out the false teachers were motivated in large part by greed. The false teachers, their focus was on financial profit, not faithful preaching. Their focus was on selfish gain, not God's glory. And that's true of false teachers throughout all ages most often. Like what one Bible scholar said, he put it this way. These false teachers were good at their bad work. And I like that. They were good at their bad work. Elders... Pastors, overseers, therefore, must call out and confront the false teachers. They must make sure they don't teach in the church. Elders silence false teaching with faithful teaching. The sound faithful teaching, the truth of God's word, protects the faith, the unity, the witness, the ministry of God's church. So this was happening as he continued, and he let us know in verse 12, one of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Paul here, in a very clear, specific way, told Titus, the pride, the selfishness, the greed of these false teachers in Crete was reflective of many of the people in Crete. The people of Crete were known at this point in time in history for their sin, immorality, and moral decadence. Paul here with Titus quoted Epimenides, a 6th century BC prophet and poet who was from Crete, one of their own. He knew his people well. And he had described his people, and Paul wisely quoted one of their own prophets and what he had said about his people and what Epimenides had written and said before was that Cretans, those from Crete, are always liars. Those from Crete were known for their dishonesty, their deception. They, people there were told, if you trust someone from Crete, if you trust what they're saying, you're trusting them at your own risk. They were always liars. They were evil beasts. That means they were like wild animals. These folks from Crete, they followed their sinful, selfish, sensual desires. They lived their way. They followed all their desires, and they didn't care or consider or think about how their actions impacted others. They didn't consider it. They didn't care of how they lived, hurt others, or bothered others, or offended others. Because they were self-centered, not others-centered. 
And they were lazy gluttons. They loved to eat and sleep rather than work. Now this was true of many, but not all, of the residents of Crete, but it was true of these false teachers. And we know this because we continue in verse 13. Paul said, real simply, real succinctly, this testimony is true. I love that. This testimony is true. He said, listen, Epimenides got it right. This testimony is true. For this reason, and he continues. So for this reason, therefore, because this testimony is true, Titus, for this reason, rebuke them sharply so that they may be sound in the faith. For this reason, because this testimony is true, rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them sharply means to confront and expose the error of the false teachers sharply, forcefully, immediately, continually, daily. Rebuke them sharply is a present active imperative. That means it's a command in the present tense that's to be obeyed today and every day all through the day. Rebuke them sharply. It's not a suggestion to consider. It's a command to obey for every pastor, elder, overseer. Rebuke them sharply. We know and understand the way elders rebuke false teachers sharply is through the teaching of the faithful Word of God, through the sound teaching of God's Word. So he's telling them, rebuke them sharply. Now watch this. Here's why. He, he gives us two reasons why they're to rebuke them sharply. The first, in verse 13, so that they may be sound in the faith. So he said, listen, because this is going on, the sin, the immorality, the moral decadence, rebuke them sharply. Call out the false teachers. Call them out. Expose their false teaching. So that, the first reason, they may be sound in the faith. So the key here in understanding this first reason is understanding they. So that they may be strong in the faith. There's two targets here for this word they. They ultimately mean, first and foremost, the members of the churches. The elders were to call out and confront the false teachers and their false teaching so that the members in the churches may be sound in the faith. When false teaching is called out and exposed, the church wins. Amen? When false teaching is exposed, the faithful followers of Jesus win. But they also refer to the false teachers themselves. When false teachers are called out, false teachers may also win. Remember, Paul's desire was for the false teachers to be exposed by the faithful elders so that the false teachers might be able to themselves realize the error of their teaching, be convicted by God, confess their sins to God, turn to God, receive God's gift of salvation, and begin feeding on the sound teaching, the faithful message of the word of God. And so we see this first reason, rebuke them sharply so that may be sound in the faith. Second reason, verse 14, and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. So they're to rebuke them sharply, rebuke the false teachers sharply. Elders, pastors, rebuke the false teachers sharply so they may be sound in the faith and so that God's people, the believers, may not pay attention to the false Jewish myths and the man-made commands that these false teachers added to the commands from God to Moses in the Old Testament because these false teachers reject the truth. They're not teaching what they should. 
They are not teaching the truth of God's word. They knew the truth. They had heard the truth, but they had rejected the truth. Paul's desire, again, was that everyone would be sound in the faith. Paul's desire was that these empty talkers would become faith walkers. And he wanted all his brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus in these churches to be sound in the faith. That's why the elders must rebuke false teachers sharply, quickly, immediately, continually. He continued in verse 15. To the pure, everything is pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. So he begins to separate the wheat from the tares, uh, the good from the bad. He said, to the pure, everything is pure. To the pure referred to those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Believers, followers of Jesus Christ. Those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Those who had a relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, we have no hope of being pure apart from faith in Jesus. No hope, because our sin separates us from God, and the only thing that can wash away our sin is the blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross of Calvary. To the pure, everything is pure. To those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, to the pure, everything is pure. That means their perspectives on life, their responses to life, their view of life, their thoughts, their, their mindset is also pure. This principle that we see here, Paul sharing with Titus, that we see it throughout uh, the Gospels in the New Testament, is what inner purity leads to outer purity. What's inside is going to come outside. And so if we've been purified on the inside, it's going to lead to pure lives on the outside. Not perfect, but pure. To the pure, everything is pure. He's referring to the believers, the followers of Jesus Christ. Again, another support why the elders must rebuke the false teachers sharply. And then he said, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and conscience are defiled. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving is a reference to those who are still in their sin. Those who are at war with God due to their sin against God. Those who are defiled and unbelieving are obviously, he's talking about unbelievers. He's talking about those who do not have a relationship with God by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus, which included these false teachers that he's talking about. He said, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, he said, both their mind and conscience are defiled. He said, nothing is pure. To those who do not have a relationship with God, she's describing the believers first in verse 15. Now he's describing the unbelievers, their perspectives on life, their responses to life, their philosophy on life, their, their views, their thoughts, their mind, he said, and their inner sense of right and wrong, their conscience, said in verse 15, is defiled. It's polluted by sin. This is a text that we understand, this, this concept, this doctrine of total depravity. It's polluted by sin. And so we see evidence of this in the way in which these false teachers were teaching and attempting to get to God by their works for God. They proved their depravity. They proved that their 
minds and their conscience was defiled, polluted by sin because they were going around teaching what they shouldn't teach. They were going around rejecting the truth of God. They were going around teaching that the way to God is by works for God. And we know today, as Paul was sharing with Titus here in this passage, and we know as well that a relationship with God is through faith in Jesus, not by works. It's through faith in Jesus, not by works. Salvation is not about works. It's not about what we do and don't do, what we eat and don't eat. It's not about circumcision or obedience to Old Testament law or these man-made commands that were added to the law by these Jewish false teachers. Salvation is not about us doing good works and hoping in praying and crossing our fingers that our good works outweigh our bad works or so because we're, we're better than the folks that we observe around us and we don't do the things that other folks do. And we're good, upstanding folks, and we, we do what we're supposed to do. We pay our bills, and we pay our taxes, and, and we don't try to hurt or harm anyone. And we think and hope and bank on the fact that that's going to be good enough. And certainly, that will allow me to enter into heaven one day. We understand and know that those are all false ways seeking sand in regards to getting to God. Salvation is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. We receive God's gift of salvation by faith in Jesus. We don't earn it, and we certainly don't deserve it. We receive this gift. And so Paul understood this. He clearly had shared this message of the gospel everywhere he went. Titus understood, had received the message of the gospel. So Paul was telling Titus, listen, brother, you got to make sure that you and these other elders are preaching and teaching the truth, and you're rebuking these who are not preaching and teaching the truth. And he continued in verse uh, 16, and he said, They claim to know God, but deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. I'm not sure Paul really got to the point there. And yet, what do you really think, Paul? Tell, tell us really what you mean. What, what are you really thinking about these false teachers? He said this, they claim to know God but they deny him by their works. These false teachers were hypocrites. They went around claiming to know God. They went around claiming that they were teaching God's truth. They went around claiming that they had the way to God, but they were showing something completely different through their works. And so we understand and know these false teachers that Paul is Encouraging Titus and these other elders to rebuke sharply, to silence them. They had a knowledge of God, but no relationship with God, which is true of false teachers. They have a knowledge of God, but no relationship with God. There was no fruit or evidence to be seen in and through or from these false teachers that would be reflective and point to a relationship with God. Since they didn't know God, they didn't live God's way. They were living their way. And unfortunately today, there are many people who claim to know God with their words, but deny God by their works. They grow around and they claim the name of Christ 
But then when you just step back and watch and observe, they don't display the character of Christ. And Paul's point here to Titus and to these elders is there should be a consistency in a Christ follower's words and works. There should be a consistency in a Christ follower's talk and walk. He said these false teachers claim to know God, but they deny him by their works. And then he shared, they are detestable. Detestable in the original language literally means to emit a foul odor. It means foul smelling. It means disgusting. It means an abomination to God. They're disobedient, unruly. They do what they want rather than what God wants. They're proud and stubborn in their unbelief. And he said they are unfit for any good work. These false teachers were unfit for any good work. What does that mean? It means they were rejected by God. Their works have been rejected by God. Since they didn't have a relationship with God, by God's grace through faith in Jesus, they were unfit. They had been declared unfit by God, and they were disqualified from any works of service for God and to God. And so we see why it's so important for elders, pastors, overseers to encourage God's people with sound teaching but also to refute those who contradict it. To make sure that those false messages are confronted, exposed for the false messages that they are so that God's people can recognize and reject them and continue to follow the truth of the faithful message of God's word as taught and revealed to us in the words that we hold in our hands. So as we end chapter one, what's our application? As we end chapter one, as we've made our way through this first chapter, focusing in on right leadership, the theme of chapter one has certainly been right leadership and what that means for the church. What, what is our response? So let me just give you a few steps, a few application points for you and I to take today, this morning, this week. I believe God wants us to take one or two of these steps, even this morning, in these moments here, in just a moment, in our time of response with the Father. I believe he wants us to respond in some very specific ways. The first step is real simple, walk by the Spirit. Remember, Paul and Titus were saved by God and sent out by God to serve. They were walking by the Spirit, not the flesh. They lived God's way by God's power, alive and at work in them, by the Holy Spirit in them. We have been saved by God and sent out by God to serve, every one of us. We walk by the Spirit, not the flesh. That's what God desires for us. We are able to live God's way by God's power of this Holy Spirit, alive and at work in us, day by day, moment by moment. And so as we humbly surrender ourselves to God, and as we admit our need for God day by day, we're able to grow in our faith in God and fulfill our calling from God. As we walk by the Spirit, we will certainly not carry out the desires of our sinful flesh. However, if we choose not to walk by the Spirit, if we choose not to humble ourselves before God each day, if we choose not to surrender ourselves to God, if we choose not to acknowledge the need that we have, and we have that need whether we choose to acknowledge it or not, as brothers and sisters in 
Christ Jesus, we should acknowledge it because it's clear to us every moment of the day, every step of our way. If we choose not to acknowledge this, and if we choose to try to live our way, then we will, much like these false teachers, we will be fulfilling the desires of our flesh rather than walking by the Spirit. And instead of leading folks to the Lord, we'll lead them away from the Lord. So this first step is vitally important. It is actually the doorway to the other steps that follow. Walking by the Spirit. That speaks to our humility of falling before the Lord, knowing that we desperately need His help. We need His wisdom. We need His strength, His understanding. And so we humble ourselves before Him every day, knowing that He will lift us up throughout the day in His perfect time. The second application point is follow God's faithful elders. Elders are the overseers and leaders in God's household. Elders preach and teach God's word to God's people. Elders encourage God's people to obey God's word. Elders help to protect God's people from Satan's schemes, tactics, temptations, accusations, and lies. Elders are the under-shepherds of the good shepherd, King Jesus. And so God has made it clear to us here in chapter 1. That God wants his people to follow his faithful elders in his church. His faithful elders. His elders that meet the qualifications that we've been talking about. His elders who work hard at preaching and teaching. His elders who encourage with sound teaching. His elders who refute those who contradict it. And the good news for you is the body of Christ, the good news for all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, the good news for me as I sit under the preaching and teaching of other faithful elders, pastors, overseers, the good news for you as you sit under the faithful preaching and teaching of the elders, pastors, overseers in this church family is this simply this. This is your protection from the Father. You see, each one of us must give an account. We must give an account to the Father of our leadership. That's why James said, be careful. Don't rush. Don't rush to being a teacher. It's a holy calling, but don't rush it. That's why Paul said, hey, listen, when you're looking for elders, pastors, don't find someone new to the faith. Don't do it. It's got to be mature because, you see, God holds us accountable. He holds us, pastors, overseers, elders, accountable to this truth. And when we begin to understand all that we're learning here in Titus, we begin to understand the glory of God, the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the majesty of God, the truth of God, and the responsibility that we have all of us, but certainly pastors, elders, overseers, to fulfill the calling of God as it relates to preaching and teaching his word. The third step is we must hold on to God's faithful word. We follow God's faithful elders, but we hold on to God's faithful word. That's for all of us. This is all of us. We're to hold on to the faithful truth of God's word. The faithful message is taught as revealed in the scriptures. The truth of God's word. We do this as all of us study God's word, memorize God's word, meditate on God's word, dwell on God's word, think about God's word, discuss God's word, believe God's word, obey God's word. 
As we keep a firm grip on God's word, we are able to grow in our faith in Jesus. Many of you could give testimony to this. As we hold on to God's word, as we get in the word on a day-by-day basis, man, we grow in our faith in Jesus. God teaches us. God blesses us. God encourages us. We grow. We know him, and we want to know him more and more and more. And the more we come to know the Lord, but the more we realize how much we still have to know about the Lord, and we continue growing in our faith in Jesus. As we hold on to the sound teaching of God's word, we're able to protect our unity in Jesus. We protect our unity in Jesus because we dwell on the word of God. We consider others. We're not like these false teachers. We're not like those from Crete who didn't care about others. No, we're others focused, not self-focused. And we look to the interests of one another. We're able to protect the unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. As we hold on to the sound message of God's word, we're also able to rejoice in our blessings from Jesus. And we're able to walk in our victory through Jesus. We are victors in King Jesus, amen? I am a victor in King Jesus. Say that with me out loud. I am a victor in King Jesus. Again, I am a victor in King Jesus. And when we follow God's faithful elders, we're walking by the Spirit day by day. We're following the faithful sound teaching of the faithful elders that God has placed over us. And we're holding on to this faithful word. We grow and we're able to fulfill all that God wants us to fulfill. And the fourth step that we see here in this passage is be careful who you let speak into you. Be careful who you let speak into you. This is something that we tell our kids all the time growing up, but it's every bit as important, if not more so for us as adults. Make sure you are listening to faithful teaching, not false teaching. Make sure that you listen to pastors who preach and teach God's truth and don't tickle people's ears. Listen, false teachers today still, as it was in Paul and Titus' day, it is still today, false teachers can ruin people, families, marriages, and churches by teaching what's not true. False teachers still today continue to teach what isn't true, and they can ruin ministries and churches and families and relationships. And so we must be careful who we're allowing to speak into us. Make sure whoever it is who speaks into you is speaking God's truth in love to you. Make sure. We gotta be careful that we're not listening to false teaching such as the prosperity gospel that is so prominent today that teaches God wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you're not healthy, wealthy, and wise, then you just don't have enough faith. You need to believe more and you need to give more because that's God's plan for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ. That's false teaching. That's devastating to the church, to families, to ministries, to people who believe that, who buy into that. It causes great damage because it's not according and in line with the truth of this word. At all. The false teaching that you can find your way to God by ever, whatever path you want to choose. That all paths lead to God is untrue. It's false teaching. There's one way to God and only one way to God. And that's by his grace expressed to us by his son, our savior and his work on the cross. He gave his life for us on the cross. He took our place. He paid our price. He shed his blood. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. Why? Because of our sin. 
to redeem us and bring us back to God. And if that false teaching was true in any sense, if there were more than one way, if there's more than one way to get to God, then the cross becomes the cruelest trick ever played on anyone. And God is not holy, God is not loving, God is not good, and God is not kind, and God is not a God of grace. It eliminates everything that God told us in his word if there's any other way to get to God. But the good news of God's word is there's not. There's only one way. There's only one way. And that way is by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so listening to any other false teaching is wrong. It's incorrect. The false teaching today that God wants you to be happy, and so you do you, and you be you, because you are the one that knows you best, and you are your authority. It's false teaching. It's terrible. God doesn't want us to be happy. He wants us to be holy. He's more focused on our joy than our happiness. There's nothing wrong with being happy. Nothing wrong at all. Any birthdays today? Happy birthday. Nothing wrong at all. (laughs) Nothing wrong. Not a grouch. Nothing wrong. But what I'm telling you is God's focused on our joy. Because that's, oh, by the way, what he produces in us. And that joy comes and stays. And it never goes anywhere. Because our king doesn't go anywhere. He's with us. He's with us. And as followers of Jesus, I know you've seen this and found this to be true, as I have. When we're holy, it's crazy how we're happy and joyful. Because we feel the pleasure and presence and power of the Father. Because the one who called us is holy. And so our response is to be holy in all that we do. These false teachings could go on and on and on. But here's the good news. As we walk by the Spirit, as we follow God's faithful utters, and as we hold on to the faithful word, we become better equipped and able to recognize and reject the false teaching of false teachers. It works perfectly how the Father's designed it. And then a fifth step is that we're to be consistent in our walk. Be consistent in our walk. These false teachers were hypocrites. They were saying one thing and living a completely different lifestyle. And we know hypocritical Christ followers damage the cause of Christ. Do great damage to the cause of Christ. That's one of the main reasons why folks reject the gospel. Why folks say, I don't want to go to church. And they'll oftentimes follow that statement by, uh, because I know so-and-so, and they claim to know Christ, and they live worse than I live. And I'm not going to go if that's the way Christ followers live. And so we understand The difference that Christ makes in us is to be seen through us. God wants our words and our works, our walk and our talk to match up. As John told us, whoever claims to live in him must walk as he walked. Even John said, listen, if we're going to claim the name of Christ, then we need to live like Christ. It only makes sense. And so we understand why this is so important for us to seek consistency in our walk, in our witness, in our work for the Lord. And we are able to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit as we walk by the Spirit, as we go back to that humility point, which enables us to be consistent in our walk. 
What Paul was sharing with Titus years ago is, is so relevant to us today. Listen, Paul knew this. Titus knew this. We know this today. Life can be scary. Trials can seem insurmountable. You may be dealing with a trial in your life right now that, quite honestly, seems insurmountable. People can be cruel. Relationships can be messy. Circumstances can be unfair. It's easy. Let me repeat. It's easy to get discouraged, frustrated, stressed, and overcome by fear living in our world today. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. It's easy for us as well as everyone else, but certainly for us as followers of Jesus, it's easy to get discouraged, stressed, frustrated, angry, overcome by fear, which is why we go back to what we've been learning in chapter one. We must remember God is with us and God is for us. God loves us. God is watching over us. God is working in us. And he's going to carry on his work in us until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. God will empower you and me to live and love and lead his way. We hold on to this word and we are reminded that God's grace is sufficient for us. His power is perfected in our weakness. Therefore, we can boast all the more gladly about our weaknesses because Christ's power rests on us. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The mighty, the righteous can run to it and find safety. I keep the Lord in mind always because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken as the psalmist told us. We can claim that passage as well. We lift up our eyes to the hills. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He does save those who are crushed by spirit. His eyes are on the righteous, us, those in Christ Jesus, and his ears are open to our cries for help. He will meet all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He is coming back for you and for me. And we are going to spend eternity with him one day in glory. And you and I know that our present sufferings today are not even worth comparing. Not even a comparison to the glory that is going to be revealed to us one day in heaven. And so our part today, once again, is to trust in the Lord and to rely on the Lord. Trust in him and rely on him. Take these steps, these application points, put them into practice in your life and in my life as we leave this place, as we respond here in a moment. Trust in the Lord, depend on the Lord, run to him, rely on him, and he will help us and empower us to live his way moment by moment, step by step, day by day. Here's the great news for you and me and what God wants us to embrace now in these next few moments, as we get to trust in the Lord and we get to depend on the Lord, we get to run to him and rely on him with one another, with our brothers and sisters in Christ, because we are part of God's household of faith. And God wants us to protect and enjoy and embrace our unity in Jesus. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our prayer partners are coming here in just a minute to stand at the front. They're going to be here, and they would love to pray with you, pray for you. And I want to encourage you 
to take this opportunity this morning. And I want to encourage you to, to pray with a brother or sister in Christ. That's one of the steps that God wants us to take as we get to take these application steps. But they're not just our own personal application steps. They are that. But they also are steps that we get to take with one another. And there are times where we need that prayer support from one another. There are times where we're down, we're discouraged, we're frustrated, we're overcome by fear, we're overwhelmed at our circumstances. There's some unfair circumstances, we don't like them. Maybe our relationships are messy, maybe folks have been cruel, and there are times where we need the brothers and sisters in Christ. We need a prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Times when we as husbands and wives are going at each other instead of loving one another. Times when we're not humbling ourselves before the Father. And we're walking off trying to live in our flesh instead of walking by the Spirit. And that doesn't work well, and you know that, and I know that. And so God wants us in these moments to run to Him, to depend on Him, to rely on Him once again, and to do it together. It's brothers and sisters in Christ, husbands and wives. The altar is open as always is to come and kneel and do business with the Father. Maybe you just want to run and go to a brother or sister and just pray with them, pray for them. You know they're going through a challenging time. If you've never received that gift of salvation, I've got great news. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But God's already taken care of it for you. He sent his son, your savior, to take your place on the cross and pay your price for sin. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, we have the opportunity to receive new life, abundant life, eternal life with God by simply receiving that gift of salvation by faith in Jesus. Why not today? Why not right now? We'd love to introduce you to Jesus. This is God's time. Let's respond in obedience to him. Let's stand and worship him together.